Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikbat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvatisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Avinu, we thank you for your presence this morning, for your goodness, and uh, we pray that your Word would go forth to encourage your people, O God, that you would sukkah with us, you would tabernacle with us, um, and that uh, we would um, come away from your uh, word transformed and renewed. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. I'd like to start this sermon with the most engaging teaser I can possibly think of. This is an addition problem. Are you intrigued? Yeah, I thought we could start off this sermon by adding seven numbers. Are you excited? Do you have your calculators out? All right, here we go. What is 13? Are you taking notes, kids? All right, 13 plus 12 plus 11 plus 10 plus 9 plus 8 plus 7. You got all that? I think, uh, I think Scott has it. Don't give away the answer. <laughs> Do we have it? Well, if we pair the outer numbers, that's 7 and 13, 8 and 12, 9 and 11, those all add up to what? 20, right? So three 20s is 60, and then there's the 10 in the middle, which makes 70. Now, wasn't that fun? All right. Where did I get this amazing and interesting and engaging math problem from? Well, we'll, shall ha- we'll we shall have to see. That's why it's called a teaser, right? So it'll, it'll come up later. Just trust me on this one. So now that we're done with the math, let's discuss the story of the three Sukkot, the three booths. Sukkot, of course, has its place in time. The typical narrative that we see in scriptures is this. This is what I, what I, uh, how I think it, it kind of goes through. You have a new beginning. You have a struggle. You have atonement and forgiveness. And then you have the presence of God sheltering us. For example, um, in the Exodus story, you have the new beginning, right? We're freed from slavery in Egypt. And then you have the golden calf incident, which was uh, not the best time in our period, right? It was idolatry, right? And then you have atonement and forgiveness. And, uh, and after that, there's the building of the tabernacle, which is the sign of God's presence. Do you see kind of pattern there going through? Or you can think about the new beginning in the Garden of Eden, right? Where the creation of humanity. And then there's the struggle. We eat the fruit and we're trying to be our own gods. And, and then after that, there's the sacrifice of the animals to, to cover us, to atone for us. And there's forgiveness. And then the rest of Scripture is God 
seeking to draw us back into his presence, into, into Eden. So that kind of follows the story as well. And uh, I think that this follows the fall festivals given to Israel. So we have the new year in Rosh Hashanah, in which the rabbis say is the birthday of creation, or some say it's the birthday of humanity. And then you have the wrestling and repentance. Remember we went through that during the days of awe. And then we have atonement and forgiveness on when? Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, right. And then followed by the sheltering presence of God in Sukkot. Many narratives follow this outline, I think. For example, when I first came to cling to Yeshua in college, it was a new beginning for me. And then when I told my parents, there was a rift between us, right? As Yeshua is a foreign idea to most Jews. And they felt like I was rejecting them and uh, what they had brought me up in. They thought that it was, a, it was a fracture of that. But over time, they saw that my faith in Yeshua was ca- causing me to grow as a person and to grow as a Jew, as a faithful Jew, and, but now a Messianic Jew. And so there was reconciliation over time. And now my parents have a great relationship, Baruch Hashem, of respect and encouragement. So we see Rosh Hashanah, Days of Awe, the Day of Atonement, and Sukkot. This is a pattern that we see. So speaking of Sukkot, what does the word sukkah mean? We've talked about this. Someone's mind is going ding, ding. I know they're thinking about it. It's a booth or tent, right? It's a, it's a temporary shelter. Most of the time, the word for booth or tent uh, in the Bible appears as the word ohel, like uh, how great are your, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, ohalecha, right? Okay, but uh, occasionally in special parts of the Torah, we find the word sukkah for, for tent, okay? And uh, I think that this could be that the biblical authors are directing our attention to the meaning of Sukkot, the festival of booths. That's what I think is happening when they use this word. The first time the word sukkah appears in the entire scriptures, the first time, is with our old friend Jacob. Not this Jacob, but the Jacob of Genesis. All right? We noticed in our Yom Kippur sermon that after Jacob reconciled partially with his brother Esau, he then made sukkahs, Sukkot, in the land of Sukkot, right? So this is the scripture drawing our attention here. This is from Genesis 33, 16 to 17, and it's kind of a, a part two. If you were here for our Yom Kippur service, then you know all about this and what was going on with, with Esau here. So on that day... Esau returned on his way to Seir. And what was what do we say that Seir was? Do you remember what that means? The land of what? The land of the goat. Right. The goat, which is in the wilderness. That's right. You're also right. And but Jacob journeyed to Sukkot and built a house for himself, and for his livestock he made booths or Sukkot. That is the reason the place is called. Sukkot. Sounds like I'm starting to repeat myself a little bit. But when Scripture does that, when it has the same word three times, what does that mean? Pay attention. That's right. So uh, what's going on here? Okay. Uh, well, we have the first sukkah 
This is the sukkah of Jacob, and he makes for his, his livestock. And Jacob is settling comfy, cozy into, into his land. But where does it appear in the larger story of Jacob, right? We should expect it to, to be in the right place. Just before this, what's happening? Jacob, he wants to give these livestock that he's now sheltering, he wants to give some of them to his brother as a gesture of shalom. He's going to see his brother for the first time since he swindled him. So he wants to make an offering of peace and goodwill from these blessings that he has received from the Lord. So Genesis 32, 31 gives us the inner thoughts of Jacob. And uh, I have a little bit of the Hebrew. Let's, uh, let's just read. Does anyone know what this first word says? Achap ra, achap ra, okay? And then, uh, so if you know anything about Hebrew, it's based on three-letter roots, right? So these are, these are the thoughts of Jacob, and this is how the TLV translates it. For he thought, let me appease him with the offering that goes ahead of me. Afterward, see his face. Perhaps he will lift up my face. So this, he's thinking about how he's going to reconcile with his brother Esau. The first word translated by the TLV, I will appease him. What's the root of that? Do, does anyone, what, what are the three letters that's the root? You have kaf and pei and resh, right? And which is the, the root of what other word? Kippur, right? And what does kippur mean? Like, like Yom Kippur, atonement. That's right. So what is, what is Jacob literally thinking here? He's saying, thinking, I will make atonement by the offering of peace to my brother, and I will atone for my sins, Kippur, right? I believe that the biblical authors are showing us that Jacob is walking through this familiar, familiar narrative of the fall holidays. We have a new beginning, we have the struggle, we have atonement and forgiveness, and then after that, what do we have? Sukkot, right. Then he builds the tents. He builds the booths. Sukkot is the season of joy after the reconciliation and repentance of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Sukkot is the presence of God sheltering us. Can you feel that this morning? Yeah, that's, that's what it is. Another interesting time this word sukkah appears is with our friend Jonah. Do we realize that this happens in the book of Jonah? Uh, so he reluctantly fulfills his mission to Nineveh. These are enemies of Israel in the Assyrian Empire. And then he's sitting and watching, and he's like, oh, we'll see what happens here. And uh, he's looking at the city from afar off. And this is from Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 5. So Jonah went out from the city and sat east of the city. There he made a sukkah, and he sat under it in the shade until he saw what would happen in the city. Then Adonai, God, prepared a plant. This is kind of a, a natural sukkah, right? And it grew up over Jonah to give shade over his head to spare him from his discomfort. So Jonah was, how's he feeling? Very happy about the plant. But God, at dawn the next day, prepared a worm that crippled the plant and it withered away. When the sun rose, God prepared a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. And he implored that his soul would die, saying, My death would be better than my life. 
This is clearly a very bitter man here. Remember at the beginning of the story, what's going on in the story of Jonah? He has a new beginning, right? He has a calling to preach to Nineveh, to go to the Assyrian capital. And then he struggles with this, right? There's the struggle. And then he goes down, down, down to the bottom of the sea in the belly of the great big fish. And then we see a certain measure of repentance. I don't know if it's full repentance, but it's a certain measure, kind of like with uh, Jacob and Esau. Uh, And then there's a certain measure of reconciliation between this is the representative of Israel and the nation of Assyria. This is representing the nations. And a certain measure afterward of Sukkot, right? There's a a sukkah at the end of the story. But the, the real sukkah is not the one that Jonah builds, but what's the real sukkah? It's that plant that the Lord provides, right? At least brings a little bit of shade in that hot desert for, for a time. But I say a certain measure because the full shelter of God's presence is not really seen at the end here. Why? Because Jonah is bitter, right? He hasn't really come from a, a full repentance and love for this nation. And so there's only a partial uh, sukkah here. But it's, th- it's still the same story. It's still the same narrative. And this brings us to the final sukkah, the sukkah of King David. But before that, I have a bonus sukkah. Did you know that you're going to get a bonus one? This is the sukkah of Rabbi Yonatan. He's one of my mentors and a good friend who lives in Maryland. And this is a picture of his sukkah. How's it looking? Yeah, so of course, this is not how it originally looked. Uh, uh, Rabbi Yonatan sent me this picture um, this week. Unfortunately, a strong wind came and knocked it down this year. And uh, Rabbi Yonatan said that even though Sukkot is supposed to be a season of joy, seeing his sukkah like this did not make him feel joyful. And I was able to empathize with him. I can, under- can you understand how that would make you feel? Yeah. So I encouraged him with the words of the prophet about the sukkah of David. I reminded Rabbi Yonatan that God has promised to do what? To rebuild the sukkah of David. And therefore, he also can rebuild his sukkah in this partnering work with God. But what is the sukkah of David? Did King David ever build a a, a little booth or a tent? Is that what this means? Well, it's mentioned in the prophet Amos, and uh, with common themes from other prophets, it's quoted and referenced in the book of Acts, in a very, uh, very important chapter of Acts, by James, who is the leader of the community uh, in Jerusalem at this time. So this is from Acts 15, but it's quoting Amos and a couple other prophets about the Sukkah of David. After this, I will return and do what? Rebuild the fallen tabernacle or sukkah of David. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Namely, all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says Adonai, who makes these things known from of old. So let's break this down a little bit and let's leave it up. So after this, this first part says after this, that means on that day, right, in the Messianic age, the fallen sukkah of David, what is that? Well, remember, 
David had a, a broken dynasty, right? And uh, so God, but God will restore that, meaning he'll restore it through the messianic king who is a descendant of David. Remember, uh, the kingdom of David broke and splintered after Solomon, and kingship and dominion was shattered. There were t- actually two separate, separate kingdoms, but God is saying he's going to restore, restore that kingship and restore that kingdom. And then James uses this as an opportunity to extend the messianic kingdom, not only over Israel, but also over what? All the nations, the Gentiles, the goyim, that are called by the name of the Lord. This is very interesting. It's not just enough for the Messiah to be the Messiah of Israel, but he must draw all nations to himself. In the scriptures, we usually associate God's name, putting his, his name or his identity on the children of Israel. But this says that through the Messiah, he will put his name, his mark, his identity on the nations. This is not so revolutionary to us. We would expect that, right? But at the time, they, they were blown away by that. They were like, wow, God, God's love and his reaching out and putting his name on the, all the nations of the earth through Yeshua, this is, a, this is a surprising and big deal. Amen? And I believe that the Sukkah of David is the kingdom of the Messiah who will reign over all the nations. And Sukkot, this festival that we have, is a reminder of this ingathering of the nations under the Messiah's gentle sheltering. The debate back in the book of Acts, the reason that James quoted this, is, uh, is this. Uh, did one have to become part of the Jewish people? Did you have to be circumcised? Did you have to keep kosher? Did you have to keep Shabbat? to be included in the peoplehood of God, to be saved from your sins, to be a child of Abraham. How would we answer this? Is that, is that what you need to do? Do you need to become Jewish? No. And they answered with an emphatic no. And they made a halakhic ruling. They made a, a ruling about this, about the requirements for Gentiles who cling to Yeshua based on this text and, and others about the restoration of the nations under the Messianic king. And so they decided for non-Jews who cling to Yeshua, they were required four things. Very simple, which probably related to uh, the, the rulings for Noah, the, the requirements for Noah, who's the father of all nations, or some people think it's connected to the, the commandments for the ger, the resident alien in Leviticus. Uh, they, they would join to Israel in the Hebrew Scriptures. But the main idea is this. In Yeshua, God was not just dealing with the Jewish people, and he wasn't saying that everyone has to be Jewish, but this was like a great Sukkot. He's ingathering all the nations to himself. And this brings us back to the math problem. I know you were wondering about that, right? You were curious. How many did we add up to? Do we remember? Seventy. Okay. So these are uh, the commandments concerning the offering for Sukkot in the book of, what Torah book do you think this comes from? Appropriately, it's the book of Numbers. Yes, because it's a math problem. That's a little joke. Okay. All right. So this is Numbers 29, uh, starting in verse 12. On the 15th day of the seventh month, you are to have a sacred assembly. That's, uh, what day is that? 
What festival is this? Sukkot. Okay. You're not to do any of your work, and you are to celebrate the feast to Adonai for seven days. So it's a, seven, it's a week-long thing. You are to offer a burnt offering by fire to Adonai as a pleasing aroma, 13 young bulls from the herd. Okay? And so if you keep reading in the book of Numbers, similar offerings are listed, but each day of Sukkot, there's one bull left. So there's 13, and then the next day there's 12, and then 11, and so on, all the way down to 7, which adds up to what? 70. The rabbis noticed that 70 refers to the 70 nations, right? If you look in, in, in Genesis chapter 10, there's a, there's a consensus that there's 70 nations. So 70 represents all the nations of the, of the world. And it also refers to a universal move of God, that God is doing something big with all the whole world. Sukkot is about God's atonement and reconciliation, not just for Israel, but for all the nations of the earth. And notice that Israel has to do the sacrifices. They're playing an intercessory role. God is reaching out to the nations through Israel, just like he does through the one man Israel, Yeshua. So let's think of now about all of our stories. Jacob reconciles with Esau, also known as Edom, right? And then we have Sukkot. Jonah reaches out to Nineveh, and then we have the shelter of the plant and the shelter that, uh, that Jonah builds. The prophet Amos, quoted by James in Acts, says that the reconciliation here will involve Jacob and Edom. This is what's quoted in, in the book of Amos, if you look back. And Edom is really Esau. But here we see James doing a little bit of theology. When he quotes the, uh, the book of Amos, which talks about Edom, he kind of interprets it a little bit. Okay? So uh, how do we spell Edom, which is the other name for Esau? How do we spell that in Hebrew? It's a lot of Hebrew today, I know. Aleph, Dalid, Mem. Right? And uh, that's the same root as what? There, it's a name. Aleph, Dalid, Mem. Adam. Right? And what does Adam mean? Adam means humanity, humankind, all the nations. Right? So, uh, in other words, James is drawing our attention to this. Okay? Jacob making it right with Esau or Edom doesn't just represent uh, Israel making it right with one nation, but all the nations, all humanity. Sukkot displays God's love and ingathering of all nations, and not just Israel, under the Davidic king, Yeshua the Messiah. Yeshua's kingship is universal, right? It's not just partial, but it's over the whole earth. And he calls us as his followers personally. He sends us out. And in Luke chapter 10, we have an example of that. And how many do you think that Yeshua... Oh, well, if you look up there, you'll see. All right, but close your eyes. I want you to guess how many do you think Yeshua sent out? Seventy, that's right. Very, you guys are very smart. All right. So, uh, so he's, he's making a connection here, right? Um, now, after these things, again, that phrase, right? This is a symbol of a, a sign of the messianic age. After these things, the Lord assigned how many? Seventy others and sent them out 
by twos before him into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he was telling them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beg the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Yeshua is rebuilding his kingdom. He's rebuilding his sukkah. But that means that we have to do the work. We can't just rest by, right? Rabbi Yonatan has to rebuild his own sukkah if it is to mirror the restored sukkah of David, the messianic king, Yeshua, the Messiah. This year, 5780, we have a new beginning. We have come through the struggle of repentance. We have uh, received atonement through the sacrifice of Yeshua. Now, let us prepare our temporary homes, our Sukkot, for the presence of God. And let's go out. He sent us out and to follow his counsel of the Messianic King. And if you read in Luke chapter 10, what is he saying? He says to go and proclaim shalom. He says, go and heal the sick. Proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand, right? We're living now in the age, the Messianic age, the age of of the Messiah. And we are to proclaim God's love for all nations at this time in Sukkot, and that it is manifesting, it's sprouting up in the presence of God through the shelter, the sukkah of his dominion in Messiah Yeshua. Amen? All right. Well, let's pray. Avinu, we thank you for... uh, your faithfulness to all nations, and we thank you that this is a time when you remind us that you are also not just after Jacob, but you're also after Esau, that you're not just after Jonah, but you're after the Ninevites. You're not just after um, us in our, in our congregation, but you are after uh, all nations who are called by your name. Um, and uh, we thank you, Lord, that um, this is a reminder of your faithfulness and your love um, to all peoples. And as we sang, uh, as we sang this morning so appropriately, Lord, um, to clap your hands, all you peoples, Lord, that you are drawing us all and you are calling us to go out and proclaim your faithfulness. And I pray that you would empower us to, to, to proclaim how you have sheltered us and um, how you have healed us, and you empower us to, um, to go and rebuild um, your kingdom, O oh God, in, in your power and your might as we partner with you in these things, Lord. And we pray for Rabbi Yonatan also that um, your presence would go with him, that he would not be discouraged as he rebuilds his sukkah and as, uh, as we rebuild ours um, in your kingdom. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.